What goes on mentally when you're facing adversity? Have you found yourself in a really tough place in life where you think, gosh, I wish I had somebody in my corner right now, somebody that could help me get clarity on what that best next step forward could be. And then guess what? Out of nowhere, a high school basketball coach has the answer. Well, I'll tell you what, you're in for a real treat today. Our guest today has a history of achievement, milestone after milestone after milestone, and she's used her incredible platform as the head coach for the Michigan State Spartan women's basketball team to inspire, empower, and develop young ladies all across the country to win, and not just win, but to win big and overcome the challenges of life. Welcome to At the Podium. I'm Manuel Mesqua, a financial advocate to my clients, CEO to our firm, husband, father, and a massive sports fan. I'm obsessed with encouraging people to dream big and attack the unique vision that they have for their life. And we like to host people on the show that through sharing their story, there's lesson after lesson after lesson that will inspire you to do the same. We've built this podcast around those stories of the highest performers. So folks, you're in for a treat today. I'm incredibly excited to welcome Susie Merchant, the head women's basketball coach at Michigan State. And look, it's going to be an incredible story of achievement and accomplishments. We're going to hear about her core values that she shares with everyone that comes across her path. And what I love most is that it's not just been at Michigan State. Susie has poured her heart into so many different teams from Oakland to Saginaw Valley State to Eastern Michigan. The last 15 years at Michigan State, she is the fastest coach to get to 100 wins in any sport at MSU, over 500 total career wins, 300 at MSU. And look, I love the fact that she has record after record after record still at Central Michigan, where she was a hardcore Chippewa and one of the top talents that came out of that school. Today, Susie's going to just share such an inspiring message about her life, about her passion for pouring into others, and sharing a couple really unique moments along the way. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Susie Merchant. I am so fired up to be at the Breslin Center this morning. I can't believe it. So people, they tease about all these, you know, D'Antonio football players that I have on the podcast. And today, today, I'm with Central Michigan's Chippewa, all-time career assist leader, single-season career assist leader, and single-game tied for assist leader, head coach of the Michigan State Spartans women's basketball program, Susie Merchant. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're going back to the vault. <laughs> With those statistics, it's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute, but Susie, it's like, I mean, you have had since your days at Central Michigan, and we're going to unpack all of this, but you've been associated with so many different incredible basketball teams, including Olympic teams. Yep. 
And what a special story that we get to unpack today. And I'm so excited and thankful that you were willing for us to get together. Oh, I appreciate it. I think it's crazy where that little round ball has taken me, that's for sure. And many people in their journeys, sport is usually, and especially if you make a career out of it, you really do enrich your life in different ways that you didn't know even possible. I believe it. Yeah. I believe it. So thanks so much. And you know, I, I do want to acknowledge this really quick. Somebody made this ball for you, right? Because this is the most unique basketball I've seen. And I think maybe we can give that person credit. Yeah, Kiara Copeland, our graduate assistant. I mean, it took her hours and hours. I think she said every panel was like an hour. And we use it as a prop in a lot of our photo shoots with recruits. I mean, it's like the favorite thing. And I'm a bling girl. I loved your gold microphone at first. I was like, oh, that's lovely. And then here we are with silver bling. So it's just, you know, a contrast, I guess, at this point. But shout out to her. I mean, it's been everybody favorite. You know what I think, Alex, instead of worrying about these unique gifts we try to send our guests afterwards, we should create like a mini replica because it's like the 10th guest that says, I like the microphone. Yeah, these are awesome. And that should be like our thank you with the date for being on the show. Yeah, that'd be a nice little gift. Yeah. Thanks for saying that, Coach. And you know what? Look, I, I love to go back in time and think about where the vision for such a special story and a special life began. You said it was okay to go back to your childhood. <laughs> Traverse City. Yep. Traverse, Traverse City, City Michigan. Three sport athlete. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just curious. Like, I want to hear about your parents. I want to hear about your childhood. I want to hear how you narrowed it down to one sport when you were a standout in all three. Yeah. Basketball, volleyball, and softball. Softball. Yeah. I would throw football in there until I got noticed that, you know, because I really did look like a boy most of my life. So I played football for a long time, kind of filling in as my older brother until, you know, somebody figured out that I wasn't Mike. (laughs) I was me and I was the girl. So yeah, I played a lot. I was a gymnast when I was younger too. I was very involved in gymnastics at first and from the time I was little and you know, made a transition into other sports. That was a big decision, probably a pretty defining moment in my life looking back at it. When you do think about that, so it sounds like from the day you were born, you were into sports. Where do you think that came from? I don't know. I've always had a competitive drive. Like my mom tells me this story in Traverse City, you know, they have the the cherry festival up there. Yes. And when I was like four and a half, five years old, they had the big wheel contest. Remember those big wheels, you know? And I was the only girl out there and I smoked everybody <laughs> and she was like so proud and I was the only girl, you know, and I didn't know any better. I grew up with two brothers, right? And a dad that played college sports. So I kind of always compared myself or felt like anything boys can do, I can do as well or better. And so I've always been driven that way, I think. So when I look at my life, I think there's been some defining moments. Growing up in Traverse City was a a big part of that. I mean, it's a very... Back then, it's a little smaller than it is not as a... wasn't a food wine place, you Mm -hmm. know. It was a small town and they embraced athletics and, and youth sports for sure. When I've listened to, and I spent some time this weekend listening to previous interviews, comments that I could find online from past players Mm -hmm. of yours at various programs, not just Michigan State, they say a lot of really special, really unicorn, really meaningful comments about the impact and influence you've had on them outside of just basketball. Mm -hmm. When you look back at your childhood, can you think of a coach that just really stands out that you still think of often that had that type of impact on you? My high school coach, for sure. 
I mean, which he, sport? Basketball. Okay. But so in Traverse City, you know, he really did it the right way. It was kind of old school back then. I mean, he had a youth program. I could take a charge on the backside of a shell drill when I was in fourth grade, you know, and he would dress up as Devil Defensky, you know, like the <laughs> devil, and he'd have a cape and. You know, he just got you to buy into the defensive side of the ball. Just so many of my fundamentals, both sides of the ball, but certainly the influence he had. And I can remember, you know, he made a comment to me when I was in eighth grade. He was talking about, you know, making varsity and things like that for the next year. And that was kind of my goal, you know. I decided to kind of move away from the gymnastics route because I was at the point in gymnastics where you have to move away and train, right? Like it's the only thing you can do. You can't play any other sports. And I was such a tomboy growing up that I loved every sport, but it got to that point where it was getting serious and I had to make a decision. And I I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to, you know, find other things that I could do. And I loved basketball, football, baseball. <laughs> I mean, we were, you know, kicking the can, playing all that stuff, you know, out in the, in the neighborhood, um, pickup games. So he was very inspirational and I always wanted to play for him. He built a program but when I was in fourth grade. I mean, he was like everything. And then he kind of became a second father to me and, you know, just really always talked about not just basketball, but like my impact as a person. And I didn't see it. I was 15, 16 years old. I mean, we're just kind of, you know, a little bit unsure of who we are. And he always helped define who that was for me. You know, he always talk about like my smile and how I give to people and, how I can elevate other people's games. And I didn't even see that, you know? And so he was one of the first people that really saw the talent in me and not only as a basketball player, but as a person too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing the examples of how he invested into your confidence mm -hmm. and your self-awareness of all you yeah. could do. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He always pushed you, but he did it in a way that, you know, I think he lifted people up. I mean, he was hard on me now. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there was expectations. I mean, you're the point guard of as a young kid on a high level team and we were state, you know, running, making state runs and stuff. We were ranked and there's a lot of pressure on that. So, I mean, he, he didn't sugarcoat a whole lot. You know, he gave it to me straight, but he also, you know, off the court tried to explain to me how, you know, when you lead, I say this to my players all the time, especially point guards, you lead by the position you play or the personality you have. And sometimes it's both. And when it's both, it's God's greatest gift. And you don't take it for granted and you have the responsibility to use it. And so he kind of was the first one that taught me that. And I look back on just my personality and how I could affect people and teams when I played sports, mm -hmm. you know? So I think he was always, you know, yeah, you play the point, you got to lead. Don't be the quarterback. If you're scared to say something like you can't be a mute and be a QB, you can't be QB one and not have an influence on your team. And I feel that way about PGs too. And so I was a point guard and he kind of said, you lead by personality or position and sometimes both and you have both. And so I feel like I look for that in point guards if I can find it. I love hearing you say that story. And you know, our very own Alex Vernon, who previously was Alex Joint, point guard in Saginaw, state championship, state of Michigan. And I think of like a brief conversation I had with her dad one time and how he just spoke about how proud he was of her, you know, doing that in high school. And so you you hear that, right? Like you are the commander in charge yeah. on the court. Yeah. You have to have a commanding presence. But I also think you have to 
you know, another phase to this, and you probably went through some of this too, is like on the women's side in particular, less on the men's side, this is a little gender conversation, but you got to know your people. Like that's the number one rule in leadership, period. So mm-hmm. how you as a PG, how I talk to you is going to be a lot different than how I talk to the five man and how I'm going to talk to mm. a veteran versus mm. how I'm going to talk to a freshman. Mm. So like knowing their language. I mean, there's a time and a place to get into people and there's a time and a place to pat them on the back. And you got to have emotional intelligence about you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talked about Mateen a little bit earlier. I think Mateen's greatest gift wasn't the talent on the court. He has tremendous emotional intelligence. The man can read a room. He can inspire people. Yes, he can. And he can have tough conversations, but people respect him because he's learned what language to speak to them over the time that he was here and how to get the best out of people as a point guard. And that's what I respect out of him the most. I mean, everyone talks about him as a player, but you got to understand his impact as a human and how he his emotional intelligence really changed the game here at Michigan State. And you've seen, I'm sure like with some of your players as well, you've seen Mateen apply that forward into the corporate boardroom in the business world. Oh, yeah. And it's been incredible, right? What yeah. he and Matt Ishbia have built at UWM and, you know, him being one of Matt's lieutenants. I mean, it's yeah. no surprise that Matt came back and said, Mateen, join me on this journey. Yeah. I mean, Mateen, I mean, even the things that he's doing now with some of his social media, it's just, it's inspiring, you know? I mean, he's really got good energy, but at the same time, he's got wisdom. And and again, I just go back to emotional intelligence of it all. Like, you got to know your people. And I think he's a good reader of people, and it translates in the business world. That always translates. With all the success you had coming out of Traverse City, and I'm a big Chippewa advocate, right? I love Chris Fowler. Yeah. I mean, he is literally yeah. one of my favorite humans on planet Earth, his brother Benny too, though. And what brought you to Central Michigan coming out of Traverse City? Can you think back to the moment when you made that decision and why? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, truthfully, on the women's side, Central Michigan was a really like one of the best programs in in the state at the time. I mean, it really was. I mean, I really wanted to be a Spartan. You know, I both my brothers went here. And we used to, when I was a kid, come down here and watch Scott Skiles play. That's how Mm. old I am. That was our family vacation. We couldn't afford a whole lot, so that was it. Yeah, we used to come down here and watch him play like, you know, once a year. And that was kind of a big deal. so special. So I always had a dream to play here. But at the same time, Central Michigan was really – Really, really powerful, especially on the court, but also up north, like where I'm from. There's a lot of Chippewas. And at that time, you know, Dan Marley from my hometown, he was an Olympian, an NBA player. He obviously went on. He went to Central Michigan. And a couple of the girls that I played with went there. And Mm -hmm. so it just felt like home. I feel like Central Michigan is a mini Michigan state in terms of like the campus, the atmosphere, the pride of the programs. Sure, It felt like home to me. And, you know, I had opportunity. I mean, Ohio State had recruited me some other bigger schools, but nothing felt more right than being a Chippewa. And so that's, you know, you always go with your gut, right? You always go with your gut. Four-year starter, three-year captain, Mm -hmm. career assist record holder, single season assist record holder, tied for first and single game assists. What didn't you achieve during those four years at Central Michigan? that you still think about? Uh, we, you know, some of those games that we lost, like in the MAC tournament, like to go on to the NCAA tournament, we were a one-bid league, so you had to win it. I mean, you just had, there was no, you know, now it's a little different, but we never could get over that hump. We lost to Bowling Green in, in the finals, and it just was such a battle. We just couldn't get over it. 
you know, over that hump. And so I look back and think about that. But, you know, I say this all the time. We got to win. I mean, this isn't Sunday afternoon church league, what I do. I recognize I'm getting paid to win games. Everybody expects me to win games. But I also think like the relationships and the journey along the way is embracing that, loving that, you know, loving the sisterhood of who's around you, who your teammates are. And I always say this about Michigan State. I think Michigan State, as I said, reminds me of a Central Michigan, but you can have, the, we have incredible facilities. Those are incredible. just incredible, but that's bricks and mortar. And everybody thinks that's all it takes. And it, it isn't. It's also about the people in your journey. They matter more than a facility, right? Because, yes. I mean, we haven't always had the best of facilities. I mean, we haven't, but we found ways because of the people in the journey, you know, the Tom Izzles of the world, the camaraderie here. It's big time power five B. BCS sports, but it's a bunch of division two people, you know, in terms of mentality, (laughs) like, I mean, how we connect. My my first head job, I was the academic advisor, the senior women's administrator, the compliance coordinator, and the basketball coach. That's right. I mean, piece all that together just to get you there. Yeah. And those were four full time (laughs) jobs. And I can remember this goes to the journey thing. I called the compliance person at Central Michigan. She and I called her over and I said, I need some help. We had to perform these squad lists and the NCA stuff. And I'll never forget the next day, uh, Judy Van Horn, bless her heart. She sent me a, a bouquet of flowers and a note. It was like, bless your heart, <laughs> you know, because she does it for a full-time job. And yes. here I am, the head basketball. And I was getting my master's degree at the time, full-time master's wow. degree. So, and I didn't even have a full-time assistant. I had a part-time assistant. So I look back and I'm like, how did I do that, you know? But you just do, you know, you just, you just want to win and you do what it takes and whatever's in front of you, you just kind of put your head down and go to work. Who do you think had the biggest impact on that mindset? I've actually heard that about you from someone else, just doing whatever it takes. Like you just do it. Yeah. Who do you think had that biggest impact on you? My parents probably for sure. I mean, I think that's usually your earlier influences. I look at that. I think my dad in particular played college sports. So, and then he was a principal And so you're just a master of everything when you're a principal. You're everybody's like the buck stops there and everybody comes to you. So he's kind of like a head coach. Yes. And I think my mom too, you know, my mom sacrificed a lot for us kids to kind of be where we're at. You know, she, she had an opportunity to complete her college degree and then just didn't to kind of raise us and really make sure she was at everything. I mean, she was the ultimate mom, like the ultimate mom, but also gave it to you straight too. You know, I think sometimes that's what's missing a little bit. Our society's gotten a little soft in terms of that mentality. You know, like I I just, even my boys, you know, I made a list of chores, you know, the other day and yesterday when I came to work for 10 hours on a Sunday, I came home and like two of the six were done. I'm like, (laughs) Tyler and Brady, you you got to step it up, buddy. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. I mean, we, I try to make it fun too. I did a 2022 with the first pick in the 2022 chore draft. I actually did a chore draft, you know, goes to Ty Rakin. What are you picking? He's like, I'll take the garbage out. I'm like, well, all right, Brady, the second pick of the 2022 chore draft. I, mean, I tried to make it fun, but they didn't seem like it was too fun. Yeah. So I was kind of annoyed when I got home at 1030 last night. I was like, we got two? Two is all we got? Two out of six? That's not a good record. That's not what we're not going for that. Yeah. So, but I think they instilled the work ethic piece. And I think that's the, the thing, you know, and then I think when you grow up in the profession, the way I did small time assistant coach and division two head coach, mid major, and then here now power five, you know, I didn't have people 
Mm-hmm. I, there was no people. I was the people. Mm-hmm. So it was like if something had to get done, you just did it. Like when I was at Saginaw Valley, we were dressing in a public locker room. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy, but I need a team room. Well, there was no space. So I asked for the janitor's closet and I painted it, carpeted it, hung up like a whiteboard. And yeah. I mean, let me tell you, we were, I hung signs in the back. I mean, we were packed in there at halftime like sardines. I mean, there was like 15 girls and we couldn't even move in this closet, but it was our space. And I felt like it was important. So I don't need anyone to help me just give me the space and I'll do it. And I bought the carpet. I brought it in. I laid the carpet. I painted the walls. I mean, I just, it needed to be done and I wanted a space for my team. So that's just what you did. And I bet it was celebrated by the team. Yeah, they loved it. I mean, it got a little toasty in there at halftime. It was kind of a small (laughs) space and it did get a little bit warm. But, you know, I had film up in the corner. I had like one of those TVs you mounted the old school and the VCR so we could watch film in there. I mean, their heads were a little bit more like this than like this because the room was so small to watch the TV. But I was like, you know what? We got to... You know, I want them to feel like this is us. This is our team. You know, this is, you're important and you matter. And so, you know, I wasn't going to wait for some physical plant guy to come over and do it. I'm like, I'm just doing it. Like, here we go. Paint the walls, lay the carpet. Let's go. I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sport of Kings out in LA. And as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sporta Kings is an LA-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or Sporta Kings. And they're right. That's about it. Don't forget, Sport of Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sport of Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM at checkout for 20% off. And now, back to the show. You went from playing at Central Michigan. You go directly to the assistant coach position at Oakland. What got you to Saginaw? What do you think was the moment or the achievement that occurred at Oakland that Saginaw Valley State said, hey, we need to go get Susie Merchant? Well, let me just backtrack a little bit. I didn't go straight from college to Oakland. It might look that like that a little bit on paper, but I actually graduated in December, right? You had that second, oh. that semester where yep. you have to do like an internship. Mm-hmm. So I've actually moved to Florida and I was just kind of sick of basketball, to be honest. I was sick of it. And so I just went down there on the panhandle and I, my grandparents had a condo down there for the first three months and I waited tables. I went to the, I mean, I had fun, you know, and enjoyed myself. And then my grandparents left and I was like, well, I don't have a place to stay. So I actually lived in my car. 
because I'm too proud to ask my parents for anything. So I lived in my car for like, you know, just over a month. But it was the place I worked at was a golf course. <laughs> and it was, you know, they had locker rooms. So I just- This is recording, right? I just want to make sure we're capturing- Don't tell my parents this. They'll probably die if they knew I lived in my- I was literally, I guess, in some way homeless. But I didn't feel that way. Yes. I had a job. There was a shower and I could change. So, you know, at the golf course. So I was like, this is working out. You know, I could sleep right here if I had to. You're an athlete. You just know how to sleep, right? So it didn't bother me any. So for a month or so, I was doing that. And then actually, my high school coach called me. And he's like, Susie, there's an assistant coaching job open at Oakland. I think you'd be really good at it. And I was like, looking around, I'm like, well, I'm living in my car and I'm waiting tables. So you know, maybe I should just go do that, come back home. I'll do this job until I could figure out what it is I want to do with my life. And here I am 28 years later. Wait, crazy. Wait, you are the first coach I've sat with who, well, first of all, that was living in their car. (laughs) (laughs) True story. (laughs) But secondly, that didn't necessarily have this like clear intentional vision for becoming one of the top Division one basketball coaches in the history of women's basketball. I did not. In fact, when I was in college, everyone's like, Merchant, you should go be a college coach. I'm like, I will never. There's no way I'm ever doing that. And here I am, you know. But I, this is the advice. That's why I give the advice to my girls. Like when they leave here, they're like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm like, there's no perfect job. Take the next job that comes your way. You learn from it. You stay a couple years. If you don't like it, move on. And really, that's kind of what I thought was going to happen to me. And when I got in the job, there was two things. One thing I knew I would love, and that's competitiveness and the game. Mm-hmm. So that always fit me. The second thing that shocked me that's kind of made me fall in love with it, that made me decide that this is for me and this is the aha moment for me was the mentoring and the connection to the players. It caught me off guard how much the young girls would come in my office and sit and talk about their problems and how much they needed guidance off the court, not just Mm -hmm. basketball. Mm -hmm. So those were the two things as an assistant that kind of got me. And then truthfully, as I fast forward it, I was there for three seasons and Greg Campy, who's still the men's coach at Oakland to this day, is the one that said, Susie, you should apply for the Saginaw Valley job. It's open. I was 25. And I was like, you know, I really got this first job because of my high school coach and a connection he had. So this would be a really good experience for me just to go interview, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm like, there's no way I'm getting that job. I was like, I'm just going to go there and just, you know, I'll have the committee. I mean, there's a lot of stress when you've never done that before. I mean, I was waiting tables and I got a job because of a connection. So I'm like, you know, this will be a good professional development. <laughs> and they gave me the job. And I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, what do I do now? <laughs> they actually gave me this job. But I wouldn't be where I'm at without Greg Campy at Oakland encouraging me to do it, for sure. I know that we've met a few times over the last five years since I moved to Michigan, but we've never discussed the topic of mentors versus advocates. Mm -hmm. And I found that there's a distinct difference in my life from playing at a very small Division III school, but always like dreaming that I wanted to play in the NFL someday. And Mm -hmm. obviously then obviously not doing that. My other dream was that I was going to become Batman. (laughs) Never became Bruce Wayne, but then I would become a business owner. And so here we are trying to make a run at being a business owner. I have thought about how the greatest mentors in my life have done a good job of providing, I think, instruction, Mm -hmm. while advocates have actually opened doors and created wins for me in my life because of how much they believed in me. So Devil Defensky calls you (laughs) and says- 
hey, take this job. Take this job. Just come like, back what home. an advocate. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm just like. It wasn't for the money. I think I would made $12,000 a year, but I made $3,000 extra dollars to run the entire Gus Macker tournament at Oakland University. So I was a 15th. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you that. I mean, I remember moving in my first apartment. You know, I'm from Traverse City, so I can't just go. A lot of my friends went home in the Metro Detroit <laughs> and got jobs. I didn't have anywhere to go. So I'm Four like, hours. Well, my car is probably not ideal. So I got a, a really cheap apartment in Pontiac and I thought it was great. And then my best friend from college, her dad's a cop and he's like, Susie, you can't live there. That's where all the drug dealers and prostitutes live. And I'm like, oh, well, it seemed nice. When I'm, you know, the Traverse City and me, I'm like, well, I'll just lock my door, I guess. But, you know, sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag until you could get enough money to, you yes. know, buy a bed. Really, honestly, that's cruising mirrors down there. I don't know if you remember cruising mirrors, but cruising mirrors was a restaurant. And for a dollar fifty, you could get those two really long, yummy loaf breads like that they make, you know, like in Italian restaurants. Yes. For a buck fifty. And I'll buy a can of Prego and a Diet Coke. And I would live off that for like a week. Oh. I mean, it was, but you know, you look back and you, you know, now I'm like, where's the butter for my crab sauce or whatever, you know, I've upgraded. Where's my man? I don't get Marriott points for this. This is terrible. You know, uh, while I've been li living, you know, in a car and sleeping in a sleeping bag, you know. But it likely makes you appreciate those moments so much more, right? Yeah, but like you said, advocates and mentors, I mean, we all have them. And yes. I mean, I've been blessed to have many of them. You know, Greg was one of them. There's no question. And actually, uh, ironically, Pat Summit, who I'd oh. only, this is an interesting story. You'll, you'll appreciate this. So when I was at Oakland, one of the other things that we did, we had a coaching clinic at Oakland and I was kind of in charge of running it, details and stuff. And we invited Pat Summit and Don Meyer. Don Meyer was a legendary coach, if you know, basketball, kind of smaller college, but really, you know, really shared his stuff. He was kind of the first one that opened the door for coaches sharing, right? So it's the Don Meyer Pat Summit coaching clinic. And so I go pick up Coach Summit at the airport, bring her in. I'm doing everything. I, I hardly talked to her because I was just so nervous, you know. <laughs> My boss was in there with me. So I was like, you know, yes, not the person. I was the JV team. So he was varsity. So I just kind of let that happen. And then I, you know, do my job and it's a long couple of days, but it's great. We're getting ready to leave. And that's when that Saginaw job had come open. And I didn't have enough guts. I would never say anything to Pat Summit about, hey, would you make a call for me? I didn't even know she knew who I was. So my boss at the time, Bob Taylor, says he just didn't have any shame at all. And I appreciate this about him when it came to this because he said to her, hey, Susie's applying for the Saginaw Valley Division II job. She probably didn't even know where Saginaw Valley was. She's a head coach at Tennessee. And she gets out, remember our Franklin planners back then? And yes. she writes it down. And sure enough, she had made a phone call on my behalf no to the athletic way. director. And that AD said something to me. He's like, when Pat Summit called, he goes, first of all, we felt good about you anyway. Yeah. But then when she called, and her whole thing kind of changed my perspective too of like how powerful a mentor or an advocate can be for you. And how when you sit in a chair that has influence and you feel good about somebody, it is an obligation a responsibility, I think, to give back to the people around you. And so I, I learned that from someone who barely knew me and I never really had a relationship with her. Yes. I mean, except for like, we're all just, you know, rock star when she walks in. 
So I look back at that moment and I think, you know, she was a big reason why I sit here today and she probably had no idea. You know, yeah. I've shared that story with her on the road a couple of times before she passed, but she's done that for millions of people, sure. I'm sure. I mean, seriously, I'm sure she's impacted so many people. And, you know, as she passed away in that horrible disease of, you know, early onset dementia, the worst part of it all for me, who really didn't even know her, was that she's not going to know. Mm-hmm. Like kind of an evil twist of all the people, mm-hmm. of all the women that have helped other women, there's going to come a point where this progresses and she will never know that. Mm-hmm. And that was like the, like as a person who was one of those people, right? a mentor, an advocate, she changed my life. She would never, eventually she was never going to know that. So it was a pretty powerful kind of circle of events, you know, like when you kind of think back to some, you know, where you're at and why you got there and the people that got you mm-hmm. there, the people in your journey. I say that all the time. It's about the people in your journey. That's right. It's not about the stuff. It's about the people. Although that is cool stuff. Yeah. And although this is cool <laughs> stuff. <laughs> 10 years at Eastern Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the last 15 here at Michigan State. Yep. It was a good run at Eastern Michigan. It was. And- We'll talk about that before we get into Michigan State. Now, that's another – I got a lot of interesting stories about jobs, right? So I was head coach at Saginaw at the time, and Eastern Michigan comes open. And they had had like 14 years of losing seasons. And it was not only losing seasons, they were coach killer jobs. That's kind of what we call them. Like, don't take that job that's going to kill your career, you know? So – I talked to everyone. Everybody's like, I mean, all my mentors, advocates, don't take it, merchant. It's terrible. Don't take it. It's terrible. It's terrible. You won't win there. And I called one other person at the time. His name's Gary Waters. He was an assistant at Eastern Michigan. He was a head coach at Kent State, took him to the Elite Eight. He went to Rutgers, Cleveland State. He really... I knew him because I dated his son in college, to be honest. I mean, that's just that's what is what it is. I dated his son, Sean. He was a point guard on the men's team while I was a point guard on the women's team. So I knew their family. And when he was at Eastern Michigan as an assistant coach, that's when they were in Sweet 16s. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they were like back to back. They had Earl Boykins. They had oh. the Thomas twins. They had, I mean, they were rolling. They had Grant Long. They, I mean, they were good. So they were going to Sweet 16s. And I was like, Again, go back to my childhood. Anything boys can do, girls can do as well. That's right. So I call Gary Waters and I'm like, what do you think about this job? You know, everybody's telling me not to take it. Everybody. I mean, Greg Campy told me not to take it. The, you know, Central Michigan (laughs) people I knew told me not to. Don't take it. Don't take it. Don't take it. Uh And Gary Waters says, you can win there, Susie. You can win there. You can do it. And he's like, I believe you can. You just got to get the right person. You're the right person for the job. At the time, they were redoing their field house, and they were building that new convocation center. So it was also a good time, oh, just from yeah. that perspective, the excitement, the excitement of it. Yes. So I took the job, and then we ended up winning a couple titles and postseasons. Yes. We went from like worst to first. I mean, it wasn't overnight. It took me like five years to build and you know get recruiting, and we got better every year. Had some really good kids, really good players, and you know I learned a lot about myself then too. You know, that's a different level. Yes. I mean, you're leveling up. Every job I've had, I've had to level up. Yeah. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful because I think these jobs are really hard if you've only been an assistant coach. If you've never been a head coach and then you go to a power five, 
I think you're drinking out of a fire hose that you'll drown. Yeah. I just think you'll drown. I just, yeah. I, I made more mistakes than I did right, I'm sure. But I had Saginaw Valley and Eastern Michigan at the time, which you're looking at 12 years of head coaching experience. Yeah. And I was 35 years old, you know, 36 years old when I got the job here. I think I was 36. Yeah. So I look at it where I'm grateful that I got lucky along the way and I've been able to stay in my state. That's pretty unusual for sure. a career to be, you know, Oakland, Saginaw Valley, Eastern Michigan, mm -hmm. Michigan State. I mean, a lot of coaches have to go somewhere else to come back or be a big time assistant or be a head coach somewhere else and come back. But I am grateful that I had head coaching experience because I knew how to do that part, mm -hmm. right? I could recruit and I could coach. I knew that about me. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on as a college coach. But if you can't do those two things or if those two things don't align or they don't get waylaid by all the other things that don't matter, there's mm -hmm. so many distractions and things that go on and you can fight a lot of battles and lose the war. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I just really try to like focus, okay, can I recruit at this school and can I win in this league? Mm -hmm. And those are the two things that kind of you boil it down to for sure. Yeah, I think and people listen to and watch this podcast across the country because of the relationships that we're blessed to have. I could see some East Coasters, some Texans, some West Coasters thinking like, how the hell is she such a killer recruiter <laughs> in the state of Michigan, right? Being a Michigander, I'm not confused about it. But what would you say to the next Susie Merchant that's trying to find her or his way in powerful Division One sports, what does it take to win the war for talent today? Yeah, that's a very complicated question, and it's very different from when I started to what it sure. is now. And I think you know that the portal changes the game, the NIL changes the game. But I think that the one thing that I would say is you have to be genuine and authentic in who you are, and you have to know who that is. Like, I can't be Pat Summit. I can't be Tom Izzo. You know, you have to know yourself and have enough confidence in yourself that in today's world, I think young people can smell a fake like that, like an imposter, a poser. They're not genuine. They're not real. They're not authentic. And so my advice to whoever, you know, I'm keeping the seat warm for the next round. It's coaching. That's right. I get it. I want it to be better for the next generation. So my thing is always be authentic and genuine and true to who you are. Mm -hmm. Don't try to be something that you're not. And then know what your core values are. Like mm. I have three things that matter to me the most in recruiting. Please share those. Okay. Outside, obviously, points, rebounds, talent. Everybody yes. gets that. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. Okay. Now what's the X factor that helps you win at the next level? Work ethic. If you are not a worker, if you're not willing to get in the gym and continually work which is a little scary because of all the sometimes now we we play more games than we do work on our shot in our game right like in our craft so i think making sure individually that your work they have a strong work mm -hmm. ethic that matters to me because you don't want them to get here and think they made it and now they're done mm -hmm. you want kids always striving to be a little bit better character matters to me mm -hmm. You're one bad recruit away from losing your job. I'm not here to chase them around and babysit them. I don't want to wonder if they're at class. I don't want to wonder if they're doing, like, I really want good character kids that are going to do, know what our standards are and, and make sure they understand that. So the work ethic, the character, and the last thing for me 
passion. You have to be passionate about what you do or why would you do it? If you don't really love it, that's fine, you know, but don't do it then. You know, it's like, do you like it? Do you love it? Or do you live it? And I look for people that live it. You know, the most successful teams I've had, I had more kids on that team that lived it. Breathe. I mean, everything they thought about was this sport, winning at a high level, them achieving at a high level, you know? And so there's a big difference between like it, love it, live it. Mm -hmm. And so trying to get more people that live it and love it than like it. Mm -hmm. And in the recruiting process, spending time doing that. Mm -hmm. So the work ethic, the character, and the passion are the three X factors. Mm -hmm. And we do some things to kind of test kids a little bit in those mm -hmm. areas. A little harder now, you only get so many times you can be with a kid right. and so many times you can talk to them and things like that. But when I was at Saginaw and at Eastern, I used to do this character test. A little harder now because of the television thing. People know who you are. But I used to go, I would pick one game that I would go to where I knew, I knew for sure it was going to be a blowout of the kid I was recruiting. And I wouldn't wear any Saginaw Valley, Eastern mm -hmm. Michigan, Michigan State gear. I wouldn't tell anyone I was coming. And I would sneak in the stands and all I did was watch the kid interact. So for me, how wow. do because I knew the blowout, wow. I knew at that time the blowout was going to be that kid was, you're not going to play your star player four quarters every minute. I want to see where do they sit on the bench? Do they cheer for their teammates? How do they interact with their coach? How serious do they wow. take warmups? I actually even wait wow. and watch them come out of the locker room. How do they interact with their family? Because we're about to be a family if they come here. And so I remember there was a big time kid when I actually, when I first got the job here, she was a big time recruit in our state. And I was like, I did the character test and I didn't like what I saw. And I remember calling back to my assistant and I was like, we might get crucified. I'm first year Michigan State, but we can't recruit this kid. I can't have, have this kid. I can't have her. I can't coach a kid like that. You know, I just watched the way she treated her family who, you know, big family sacrificed a lot for her to play AAU and get seen on the circuit. A lot of money sure. goes into that. They don't have a lot of that. Yeah. And the way she treated like her parents, I just was like, no, can do. Like, I cannot do it. And if I lose my job over it, well, at least I'm a stand for something, you know, because I'm not going to coach that. And it it really worked out. The kid never really played. Oh. She bounced around. She was hurt. She actually got into coaching. And I think she got fired from her first job. To wow. be honest. Yeah. So I'm not surprised, I guess, but sure. I look back at those character tests. It's a little harder to do now, you know, just with social media. Everybody yeah. kind of knows who you are, especially in the state. But it was something that I took, I take very seriously. So we have to do it maybe different ways now. But those are the three standards. I mean, you got to be a worker if you come here, that blue collar, tough, you know, you're good now, but to be great, we're going to keep working the character piece. And then do you love this game or do you live this game? Because if you don't, why do it? I mean, anything you do in life, yes. if you're not passionate about yeah, it. Why do it? It just it yeah. drives me crazy when you have people and you walk in and they're just like Debbie Downers or negative Nancys or they're just complainers. Like, why? If you don't love what you do, just don't come to work. Find another job. Yes. You know, seriously, like, just don't bring that energy. Don't be an energy vampire, man. Just please stay, you know. I'm going to apply to intern with this <laughs> merchant. 
like almost everything you've said, Alex will tell you it so resonates with who I am as a human. I mean, I even I don't even interview people. I just meet before anyone is hired into the firm. All I ask is for the last 15 minutes before some the hiring director presents an offer. And I just ask them about their family. And you can and tell- that immediately tells me whether that person is should join fit. our family or not. And it matters. I'm just like I, and I say, like, look, I love my wife and my two beautiful children. I do not leave that house to come into the office to be just like someone's sacrificial lamb because yeah. something else is going on. Yeah. You know, so you got to bring a great attitude, great effort every single day. Everything we do in life is a team sport. I mean, if yeah. you think about it, team exists because there's something so great you can't do by yourself. Right. So it requires a collaborative collegial effort. And- well, we always say to our players, we learn this from the military guys that come in here called the program. They're amazing. If anyone ever watches this from a court, they do corporate side and they do teams and there's no greater ability to teach leadership and team cohesion to me than military armed forces guys. I believe I mean, it. These guys are bad. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. Bad mole. Mm. I mean, these guys are Navy SEALs, Texas. I mean, these guys are Texas Rangers. I got sports yeah. in my hand. These guys are, you know, Army Rangers. They're the best of the best. I mean, these guys are Green Berets. They are like, you sleep well at night when you meet these guys. Because of them. But they always say this, as a teammate, as a member of a unit, are you adding value and taking strain? Are you adding value to the team and are you taking strain from others? And if you don't do those two things, you need to rethink yourself. Because even if you're injured, you can take strain. You can encourage someone. You can, you know, help a coach. You could help with a scouting report. You could sit with a freshman and help them get through the plays. I mean, there's always something you can do, but their big thing is, you know, if there's adversity, are you adding value and are you taking strain? And if you don't do that as a team member, those are the two things that they feel like you're a weak link. Can we come back? I love that story. You heard it here, the program, look into that. I love those two questions. Can we go back to work ethic quickly? You got it. You made a comment about work ethic and it made me think of the difference between somebody who can work hard versus is a hard worker. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think there's a distinct difference between somebody who's told work hard right now. Mm -hmm. And so they show up and work hard right now versus the other one who's doing work in the dark of night or on the weekends when no one else is watching. How can you measure that in today's environment? I mean, you're still winning the war for talent. The program's doing well, bright future. How do you measure that now? (laughs) That's well said. I mean- of course, everybody comes here to practice and works hard. We make them. Right, <laughs> I, mean, right. I, just, <laughs> I mean, you go to your job and you're like, you're not going to let people like, you know, yes. sit on a couch and pop bonbons you yes. know, and watch Netflix. You got to do your job. So as an administrator of a job or a CEO or a head coach, you make people work hard. But are they hard workers? I mean, that you just define success. I what mean, great that is, looks like. Yeah. Tell that's them what, what great looks that's like. That's what great looks like. I mean, hmm. people that do it in the dark at night, a thousand, you know, quiet mornings when no one's in the gym, it isn't posted on social media. But I think when I look at that, I also think of the word consistency because that is sometimes what's missing in society to me now. Like you got to do things when you don't want to do them. Not only do you have to be a hard worker and do more, 
but you got to be willing to show up all the time in mm-hmm. the same way. The best players I've ever coached, the best people I've ever been around are the same human beings every day. They're mm-hmm. not here one day, here the next. Oh, she's moody today. Oh, I got to lift yeah. her up. Like that's exhausting. Are you adding value or taking strain? And it kind of fits in that category, you know, and you define success in a perfect way, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see it. I mean, technology a little bit now shows us some of that. I just think what's done in the dark always comes in the light, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're not doing it in the dark, like you said, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody can be a three o'clock all American. Can yes. you be a seven o'clock all American? Mm-hmm. Lights are on. There's 15,000 people. It's the games on the line. You know, mm-hmm. have you trained? And that's kind of the program when they, when we talk, they always say, never rise up to the challenge. Always fall back on your training. Mm-hmm. Like just really fall back on your training. You should know that I can hit that shot because I've done it a million times when no one's been around or I can get this stop or that rebound because I've done it. And I've practiced and I've fallen back on my training. And I always love that message because I think so many kids want to get hyped up now for games. Oh, my God. Drives me nuts or hyped up for a big meeting. <laughs> Why aren't you hyped up for just to walk in the just office be or be at practice? Like, <laughs> just be the same, be consistent as a person. And I think that's a real challenge now, you know, especially for Gen Z's because they don't know who they are because of our, the social media has tried to define who they are and what they look at and see. They try to emulate and it's morphed and it's yes. messed up. And we could do a whole show on just how that's changed the minds of the youth. Yes. But, I just think the consistency, to me, the kids that show up and are hard workers consistently make a difference. I love that you said that consistency. I know we're running out of time, but I love that you said that. I've I've heard people reference like, why are you always at this level or why are you always so intense? And I've never understood the person who says, oh, turn it on and off. Yeah, you And can. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, why shouldn't the standard be the standard on Monday at 7 a.m. and Saturday at 4 p.m.? Yep. Why is the day of the week or the time of the day or the audience influencing what we've set as a standard for who we are? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that, but it's getting harder and harder. And I, I think in your position, employing people is more difficult than it's ever been, you know, because also they're just they don't like it. They just leave, you know, they don't fight (laughs) through. Like we got to fight through some stuff, people like it's okay to have a bad day. How you bounce back is what defines you, right? It's never the defeat. It's not getting up. You know, you fall down 10 times, get up 11, you know, like, come on, we got you. You're going to be all right. You know, but that consistency, I think as a person is something I'm finding a little harder to find. Yeah. You know, not only in staff, but also in, in young people, you know, so you just try to do your, your best to like mission focused, like we can do all this distraction and worry about people's emotion, but like at, you know, every day from two to four, it's about our mission. You know, we're going to go scrimmage Louisville as a final four team in one week from today, we're going to be exposed. So my job right now is to make sure that we have the least amount of (laughs) exposures, right? That we're not blowing ourselves up. So I'm mission focused right now. Don't judge a leader for being, you know, putting the goal in front of your feelings, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that sometimes is, that's a line that is gray now for younger people in particular. I think it's like, I don't not like you, but 
you're going to jump to the ball <laughs> and you're going to call your coverage yes. or we're going to run. It's not personal. I mean, I love them, but there's a standard. <laughs> it's like you said, you shouldn't apologize for a standard, you know, and just take the emotions out and have that mission focus mentality. Yeah. And that's, as you know, Ben Newman's working with Coach Tucker and Coach Izzo this season. And, and Ben's been a lifelong friend of mine. He's always talked about the standard over the feeling. Yeah. It must be that way. Yeah. In order to win. Well, coach 15, 18 to 22 year old women, a lot of feelings. <laughs> For 27 yeah. years as yeah. a head coach. And but thank 31. God at Michigan State, there's a lot of technology, right? So we spew a lot of analytics and a lot of facts. Sure. Because it isn't about your, I don't feel like I don't want to play you. I'm not playing you because you're fourth on the depth chart in your yeah. player efficiency rating. It's like, data. It's just data. Yeah, yeah. here you go. Yeah. Which they love data because they're a younger generation that feeds off of. Of like information. So I try to kind of change my delivery and just black and white it, yep. mission focused. These kids are playing or this kid's playing more than you because of this, this, and this, period. Before we go, favorite Olympic memory? Oh, from coaching? Yes. Well, gold medal for sure. Yes. I mean, has, you know, we but were, what happened in that season of your life that you were just like, this moment just blew me away, aside from what it was like to get the medal? Well, I will say this. We had just, another interesting story, but we had just invaded Afghanistan before we, oh. in the gold medal game, like I did the Pan Am, I've done it twice, right? Yes. So the first time I did it in 09, we had two bodyguards over there for the USA team. Anywhere we went, practices, stuff like that, no big deal. We come out of one of our practices, we're like on day four there. There's a tank in front of our bus, a tank behind our bus, and there's like 15 guys with like AK whatever's, I don't know, machine guns. Wow. I mean, soldiers. And we're like, what's going on? They're like, the U.S. just invaded Afghanistan at the time. And so, you know, over there in particular in Serbia, we aren't always thought of anyways at a higher level because it's the, the, the bombings and, and things. So anyway, long story short, we're playing in the gold medal game against Serbia and we're coming in and out of the tunnel and people are like screaming at us, spitting on us, mm -hmm. like how hated at that time we were. Mm -hmm. But when we stood up on the podium for the gold medal and they played our anthem, mm -hmm. I've never been the same since. Mm -hmm. And then working with the program and some of these guys and being around guys that don't have an arm or a leg and mm -hmm. have had 53 surgeries and almost died twice and got off another round as they're like, you know, arm is being blown off. Like, you know, yes, no excuses. Yes. We, we got no excuses <laughs> yes. for anything that we do. Nothing you do today is hard compared to what's that. So when I look back on my favorite experience, I just love that we triumphed over some really challenging circumstances mm -hmm. in a place that really, really didn't like us. And that was a, an eye-opener from a kid from Traverse mm -hmm. City, you know, at the time. Mm -hmm. It was my first experience representing the USA basketball. Thank you for sharing that story. I loved it. Last question for today, and we're going to have to do a 2.0 because I feel like I unpacked about a third of what <laughs> I wanted to today. And I loved it, Coach Merchant, so I'm super thankful. What's on the bucket list? As a human being, yeah, I need to go to Greece. <laughs> I need to go to Greece. I need to Samantha, go to Santa. I, ho I hope you're not listening to this. My wife is like Greece. Yeah, I know. Spring break 2023. <laughs> Greece with I love my children. Greece with no children. <laughs> can I can I add to the bucket list? I do everything for those two boys. I got you know I love them to death, but I could use a 
time and grease. Yeah, that's a bucket lister right there. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Obviously, huge advocate of everything Michigan State since my family moved here in 2017. So blessed to be around the different programs here, to have time with you today. Folks, I mean, you literally heard, I think, easily one of the top three conversations I've had in a year and a half. Head coach of Michigan State Women's Basketball Program, 15 plus years, 30 plus years coaching women's basketball. One of the top athletes coming out of Traverse City and the high school was Traverse City Central High School where she was a standout athlete in three sports. And yes, you heard Coach Susie Merchant says she would have put on the pads and stepped out this past Saturday against those Badgers. Congrats <laughs> to Coach Tucker and the win there too. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so for happy being for with him. Us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to our guest, Susie Merchant. You can follow Susie on Instagram and Twitter at Susie Merchant. And that's S-U-Z-Y Merchant. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow, rate, and review at the podium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at podium underscore podcast. Post about the show on social media and tag us, and we'll repost to share our gratitude. Also, consider telling a friend about the show. Friend of friend is still the best way to get the word out about our conversations. I hope the episode provided a powerful reminder that you have the ability to win and to win big. With the right mindset, actions, and people in your corner, no adversity or opportunity is too great to surpass. And we'll see you next time.